All right, so one of my favorite topics, as you know, I used to be an atheist, used to uh, just simply not understand the concept of how you fools out there, you fools, could see that there was, uh, could come to believe that there's a God. And then the Jesus business, I mean, really, come on, give me a break. Um, and everything, and it was all about getting comfort for yourself, that this was a way of, you know, kind of making sense of the big bad world and telling yourself, numbing yourself, as it were, God, you know, religion was the open to the people after all. Karl Marx had it right, uh, is what I would say. And um, at the end of the day, you've, uh, you've got to come to the cold reality that life is unfair and random and you're going to be dust at the end of the day. You'll be, you'll be in fact, nothing at the end of the day. So might as well make the most of this world right here and now and not live for the hereafter. And in fact, you're being lazy if you focus on the hereafter. So <clears throat> many people have said, you know, it's great, Barack, that you're religious and all that stuff. But if something ever bad happened to you, then I really wonder about your faith and what that would do to your faith. So this is, the, this is what I want to talk about today. This is the... The God is your butler sort of attitude toward religion and the belief in God. What do I mean by that? Like, like somehow, if anything goes wrong, your wife dies, your son dies, your, your uh, whatever. I mean, somebody, somebody suffers cancer in your family. And you just say, well, there can't be a God. Because after all, he wouldn't, a just God wouldn't allow this to happen. You know, that's, that's the basic premise. And people look at my life, they, they see that I'm a very big believer in God, they, that I, I know that there's a God there. And, you know, they say, well, you know that there's a God or you believe that there's a God and you, and you want that because um, everything is going well for you for the time being. But, God forbid, as it were, uh, you know, one of your children steps out on the street and he dies. She dies, whatever. Or something, uh, you know, you go blind, which is a, a really bad fate, right? Uh, let's see what uh, happens to your faith in, in God. And I, and I always thought, like, what relevance does that have? What does that have to do with anything? That's like uh, if you were to tell me that they discovered that, uh, I don't know, the planet Neptune is, in fact, uh, gaseous versus uh, not watery. Okay? I, okay, what, what relevance does that have? This has no relevance. The fact that bad things might happen, even to good people, doesn't mean that there's not a God. Where do they get this, by the way? This, this, that's what confuses me, uh, Ari, about this. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, what about the truly religious Christians or the really devout Jews, for example, the ones that you see with the pace and the black hats and everything else, walking around in, um, in New York and, and Crown Heights, uh, the Chabadniks, the, the really orthodox guys, the Lubavitchers and such like that. You think that they don't have troubles in their lives? And that's, that's a funny thing. And, and these really devout uh, Christians, Catholics and otherwise, you think that all of them, the reason why they're still in the faith is because nothing bad ever happens to their community? Of course it does. I mean, it's, it's, so, it's so palpably ridiculous, the, the logic that some people gain. So... Of course, uh, they have people that, that have died of cancer, died of heart attack and such like that. Why would it shake their faith? Why, why does it mean anything? It's not relevant to, to their face. But the atheist seems to think that 
that somehow this is all a function of whether or not God will grant you good stuff, right? And now we had a, uh, we had a death in the family recently, and it was a very tragic one. Uh, not my immediate family, but, you know, somebody close to me. And my father, um, he's still alive, he, he got very upset and he said, I, I feel like, like uh, you know, God and I had a deal. And I told him, where does that have to do with anything? You, you know, what, you'll believe in him so long as, as God takes care of, care of you, make sure that nothing bad ever happens? I mean, if that were the case, then everyone would be doing it, right? That's not, that's not a true deep belief in God. The reason why people believe in God is because they believe in God. They, they, they know that, that he's real and that uh, there's an appreciation that you need to respect and God has a moral code. And it, it makes sense. They've come to that conclusion, but it has nothing to do with the fact that bad things can happen to good people. So again, I mean, uh, do they ever not have heart attacks or cancer, these people who are re really religious or kids, uh, kids killed by drunk drivers? Uh, are they never the victims of fraud? Of course they are. Of course. I, I know some uh, very devout religious Jews, for example, who found themselves getting swindled by one of their business partners. Do you think that they changed their lives in terms of their outlook on, on God? Absolutely not. What about the religious Jews who uh, suffer terrorist attacks? Yeah, good, good example. Or holocausts or pogroms. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, the Holocaust was the ultimate test, right? When, when you think about it, you think about the Holocaust, not just of, of uh, your family, but also the Jews, generally speaking, and you would say, okay, well, there is no God because, you know, the Holocaust. Um, they, I, never, I never squared that circle. I never understood what they, were, what they were saying in that department. You know, in a world of free will, if you believe in free will, that means evil will sometimes happen. And, and life can really suck. You can really be in a bad situation. And think about how, let's say you were really religious, okay, and only good things happened to you, and you really believed in this mantra of where you only believe in God because God is taking good care of you during this entire time. But you recognize all the horrible stuff that ever happened to other people. So in other words, uh, you believe in God so long as God doesn't hurt you, <laughs> but it's okay if other people get randomly hit by cars or suffer cancer or heart attacks and so forth, right? right? Or the opposite of that, which is how can there be a God if he allows all the suffering in the world? Right. There's that one too. Yeah. I also want to mention one other uh, Jewish guy who suffered a little bit. Uh, Jesus. Good example. Uh, and what, I mean, he did call out, why have you forsaken me? Now, forsaken me is a <clears throat> relevant question. Right. Right. Me or why did you let this happen to me? Or you know, I, let me paraphrase. Hey, God, I prefer this would happen not at all, or to someone else. Right. Or you know, just not to me. That would be nice. Right. Um, but he, he the, the very line, God, why have you forsaken me? Acknowledges God's existence. Well, right. Well, that's right. But 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 to the larger point, you know, they <laughs> believing that. The reason why God is there is because nothing bad has happened to you, and and then but but nevertheless believing it's okay that everyone else has suffered. I mean that's bizarre, right? It's uh, it's, a, it's a shallow thinking. Yeah, and evil too. Yeah, of course, yeah. because I mean it, it makes the believer in, in a, into a truly selfish person. Like, well, only because God is is taking care of me. I, you know, <laughs> hey God, that's cool. It's, it's like you know, it's like it's like a mafia don, right? You're like. Uh, you, 
you know, I'll give, I'll give you protection money for my store. Don't, I don't care what you do with anybody else. You can break into other people's homes and rob them blind, but just make sure that I'm safe. And I'll believe on you. Yeah, and we'll pay you the protection money, Don, for keeping us safe. Right. And without any regard to the amount of power that allows you to amass even more right. to abuse even more people. This, right. this, I mean, this, this is the way the atheist has to think. Uh, uh, regarding a believer, that the believer is that stupid, right? Of course, we understand suffering, and we understand that suffering can also apply to us. Uh, we're, we're not, we're not idiots. Of course, that's the case. Yeah, in the case of your father saying that, I think that's an important point. Is it shows you? Well, he he was really well, suffering no, through the through uh, the this morning. This is the point. The frailty of us as humans, the imperfection of us as humans. Even if we are believers, it doesn't mean we don't occasionally say something. In, in a moment that's incredibly foolish, yeah. whether it's about astrology or that. Right, right. Or, or as Jesus said, why have you forsaken me? You know, that's, he, he, you know, of course God did not forsake Jesus in, in the Christian religion. Yeah. But as a human, it was reasonable for him to perceive Exactly, that. perceive, yeah. yeah, for that moment, that horrific moment in time for him. Um, look, so, so as an atheist, do you really think that these religious folks, these Hasidic Jews we're talking about, these devout Christians... Uh, Catholics, religious, what, uh, Christians, whatever, that, um, that they just pursue their faith in God as a hedge against bad things happening to them, right? I mean, it, like, oh, I'll just keep on believing and therefore the bad, good, good things will always happen to me. But obviously when you think about it, they don't because, but that's what you must think about them. This is what I just said. And if it were the case, right, then, then wouldn't we all become religious, Right. If if that's the well, case, isn't that the grand thing the atheist is terrified of? Right. And, and is what comes to my mind is probably a point you're going to make is this, and you know it's a point you've made uh, many times on this show and your others and in real life, which is uh, the obvious thing is if you live a conservative lifestyle and you go even farther to live a devout lifestyle and you live, go even farther and live a devout penitent. Uh, ethically moral and, um, as they say in urban vernacular, tight-ass lifestyle, more likely than not, bad things will probably not happen to you by and large, meaning you probably won't be engaging in crime, drunken behavior, lasciviousness, any form of sin. And by avoiding sin, as proscribed in the good book, usually people wind up happy and prosperous and sometimes even healthy and wise, right? right? So isn't it reasonable that the atheist would look at someone who lives that kind of lifestyle and say, wow, all sorts of good things happen to that person. It must be a a blessing that because God is happy to them and it must be because they think their happiness comes from their belief in God, right? Well, I I think part of the reason why good things happen to religious people or or so it's, it's perceived is because I mean, first of all, I do believe that if <clears throat> if you live a, a very devout life and in a in a life full of love for God, uh, that 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 you are blessed. Uh, the good things do happen to me. I I think that I'm very blessed. I have three wonderful children, a beautiful wife, and you know who knows what the future may hold. But you know, I guess I, I feel like God has been very good to me, and I'm grateful to Him every day. But look, but but put that aside. Put that aside. If you live a truly religious life, meaning that you are, are always thinking about accounting for your actions and expect that of other people, then you will also know how to look out for evil and recognize evil. So, for example, not surprisingly, a devoutly religious family that's truly in, into religion 
in, in the best sense, uh, tends not to get uh, drunk, you know, off their ass every day, right? So therefore, that there is there's less in the way of DUIs, okay? Uh, it, it, you're not going to end up uh, engaging in sex romps all the time where you can get AIDS, for example, or other uh, sex diseases. Or robbed on the wrong part of town while you're buying your weekly dose of heroin. There you go. For instance. Uh, yeah, right? you, you, because, end up, you end up not yeah. associating with these evil characters. And surprise, surprise, <laughs> right. because you don't do that, you don't you, you minimize your risk of, of, real, of real danger. Yeah, Look, and meanwhile, no matter how... So that's the, that's the Machiavellian point of yeah. view. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. Right. It's just it's just no, no, fact. No. It's basic analysis. Because if you kept the same level of observance of God, but you said, you know what, Ari? I'm making some changes. Right. Oh, Barack, what are you doing? I'm going to start doing heroin and robbing banks. Right. Okay, have right. that, Barack. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And sure enough, you wind up in prison and addicted to heroin. Right, or killed you, or whatever. Or killed. Yeah. You might not wind up as happy, healthy, wise, or capable of serving God's interests as you are now. Right. It's like, like, like any number of those movies where you, you see, where you see uh, I, think, I, I don't know why, Beauty and the Beast, the cartoon version, comes to mind. And you see the father, he's taking the horse and he's wanting to go, wanting to go find... Um, his daughter, I guess, and there are two paths. One is sunny and rosy and beautiful, and the other one is full of darkness and you know dead tree branches and dark for some reason, and all thorny and everything. And he goes, "Let's go take this shortcut," and it's a, it's a bad it's a bad path. And the, even the horse realizes. That they, I ain't, ain't no way I'm going down that path. Right, the only reason we need you to go down this path is so we have a movie right. to serve the story. So, but no reasonable human being would look at that and go, I'm doing that one. Right. But, but it's funny because in many ways people do go that dark path. And even the horse in the movie could, could figure this out. But that's the point is that religion, you know, good religion, of course, uh, enables you to clarify for yourself the dark path versus the the light path. And I, I, I always like that part of it. Look, let's assume for the sake of discussion again that we religious people believed that God is always taking care of us all the time. And so long as we believe in him, um, everything good is going to happen, right? So if that were the case, then would we ever go to work? No. Would, would, right? Would we ever exercise? Would we ever inoculate our children no. from disease? Right? Nope. Right? We'd never have God's handling it. That's right. Why do I have to work? We'd never have to get our finances in order. We'd never pay our bills. We'd never have to look both ways when we cross the street, for that matter. No, God's protecting me. I can just run yeah. across Wilshire, right? <laughs> you know, and you know what else? This might, I'm curious if this one's on your list. If you thought God was that your butler to just escort you through this life until you're of ripe old age and then take you in a painless way right on the chariot to heaven, right? Why would you? I'm not talking about not believing in God, right? But why would you ever pray, right? Why would you utter any of the prayers in Hebrew or say any of the prayers in English? Praying for like every night, yeah, I good pray point. For prosperity, health, happiness, wisdom, right? I thank God for protecting me and my children and wife and delivering me home safe at the end of the day because I know. I might not sooner or later. Right. Right. That's right. You know, there's risk out there. And God has given other people the free choice to do some bad driving. Right. You know? And we recognize that God works in mysterious ways. And, and sometimes things, you know, leave us scratching our heads. But the fact that somebody's deeply religious and he gets uh, killed in an airplane crash, um, it, it's, it's a wonder of God. And, and sometimes uh, it's what God wants. And we understand that. 
And we don't try to profess to, you know, to say, well, look, you, you violated some sort of deal that we that I had with you. It, it is very wrong to think that way. Right, and it's also think about this. It's also the height of arrogance. Yeah. Because think about how that aggrandizes the importance of X Y Z person above all others. Okay. Yeah. At the moment, there's a dude named Donald Trump who's president, right? Right. I'm going to admit something. I think I can speak for you in this, but I'll admit it for myself, and you can agree if you think the same way. Right now, at this moment of history, Donald Trump's life is more important than mine. Right. Not to me, right, but right. to the aggregate. Right? Yes, right, right. Moses was more important than some poor schlub schlepping stuff in the mud. Right. Right? So there are certain people, like... When they do t- are taken from us, like uh, you know Jimi Hendrix or something, yeah, it's a bigger tragedy than when you know someone we only know right. die or something. I'm not right. validating the importance of Hendrix. I'm just mentioning a celebrity, okay? Well, uh, mention mention this example: uh, George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. Okay, there there was a, it was clear, to Washington and to Abraham Lincoln, both of course fantastic icons of American history, uh, that. They weren't going to die in battle. Uh, George Washington was a fighter, as you know. He, and he was six foot four. I mean, there's a lot of George Washington sh- to shoot at it at the time, and he would go into battle. and And he he was interviewed many times. He goes, "I never thought for a moment that I would be shot." He, he just went in there knowing that there's he was never going to be killed. He wasn't wounded once. George Washington. Um, he had a lot of bullets in his clothes, but he never got hit. It's really remarkable. Uh, and it's so many other miraculous things about George Washington. And God took him away when God wanted to take him away. Abraham Lincoln is even a better example. Um, by the way, there's a great book on this, The American Miracle by Michael Medved. I know we don't like uh, a lot of what he has to say politically, but when he writes books, he's really good. Oh, his history his, shows those books are great. fantastic. We wish he would do more of that. <laughs> anyway, so he wrote this. I think it's really one of my favorite books that I read of his lately. And he talks a lot about Abraham Lincoln. And Abraham Lincoln, we don't know, but he was shot at all the time. Uh, truly miraculous things that happened. Um, he, they, people try to kill him all His the time. His house was right by the front lines of the Civil War. Yes, yes, There's exactly. There's a line, right. a border between Virginia right. and Maryland, and that's where Washington D.C. is. You know. And when he was taken, uh, assassinated, it was at a time like after the war was done, and uh, you know he'd accomplished what he needed to accomplish, and that's when God said, "Okay, you're done." Yeah. You know. So, um, and and I think that's true of a lot of people. There are moments where you know God is not done with you when God is not done with you. You still have your mission, and he still wants you to do it. Sometimes your mission is very, very limited. Uh, a famous rabbinical scholar talked about how uh, a child, it was a boy, and he died uh, very shortly after his bris. And uh, for those of you who are not Jewish, uh, a bris is the circumcision rite where you cut off a foreskin of a, of a, a Jewish baby's uh, penis uh, in the covenant with God. I mean, most people know about this, but nevertheless, I explain it. And this one boy, um, there was a circumcision breast. This was fairly recently, by the way. And the, look, only two days later, the boy suddenly dies. Boom, that's it. And of course, it's devastating for the parents. They, you know, they, just this little life that was born and he seemed so healthy, and all of a sudden, God, you know, God takes him away. And they discovered that um, there was a, a kinship with this. And they went to the, the to a very famous rabbi, 
who explained to them what had happened, that this boy um, was filling in for another famous uh, rabbinical scholar who had not uh, had a circumcision. And in a sense, he was doing it for this, for this other boy. And that brought great comfort to these parents. Um, not that it was just about comfort, but this rabbi saw it. He saw the connection. And that was the boy's role, that little boy's role. Now, that, that may not seem like a very cool thing to, to the average listener here. They may say, come on, Barak, come on, Ari. That's just, that's absurd. No, it's not absurd. Everybody has a mission. If you know that there's a God, there's a role for each one of us. And sometimes it seems like uh, God is taking you away too soon. Um, or sometimes in, the, in some cases, it's like the woman who's, who's 130 years old now, she's, she hasn't been taken soon enough. Uh, according to her. She thinks it's a curse. Why, why is death a curse? It doesn't have to be. We miss that person. In, in the case of the parents who, who lost their child after, what, 10 days or so, um, they feel like they were deprived, or they, they could justifiably feel like they were deprived of a life with this child. Um, but to those of you who have had miscarriages, for example, okay, in uh, and, and, in our family, we've we've had miscarriages. I think a lot of couples have had miscarriages. It's it's very very well, common. We've had two. Yeah, yeah, we've had two too. And before our oldest was born, we had a miscarriage, and you know there was some crying involved, and we were sad, and uh, you know we we resolved that this was just God's way of saying this is not the right time, and sure enough, we had the next uh, the next time it worked out great, and we have our wonderful son, the oldest one of, of three now. And we just can't, can't imagine a world without him. That, it just seems so right to us now. And this, uh, the, the miscarriage before, there was, a, there was a purpose to it. There was a timing of things. God wanted my son and then my daughter and then my youngest son to be born in the way that they were. It just seems so right. You can't imagine a world without them. And, and so it is. That, that's the way maybe it should be. Right, but, but we, every, everyone has a purpose, including the miscarried, the miscarried baby. Of course, and we, we're so arrogant to think that oh, we deserve to be in on the secret. Right. right? Oh, I like that. If, you're, if you have faith based on our belief, we will meet someday again in heaven and right. live eternally in God's kingdom. Right. I would love it if it's that way. I have images of how I'd like it. You have images of how you like it. Right. Hopefully, with God's all-powerful and wisdom and we each and get what we himself, want. We each get what we want, <laughs> right. and we meet every Wednesday to do a podcast. <laughs> you know, in, in my meat-filled world, in my dry-aged meat locker and golf course, and in your lot of beef jerky for you uh, field of bran. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, uh, you know, we, we understand our job is to be faithful and believe in him and serve his, his desires and needs as best as we can. And by yeah. following and the way we know what his desires or needs are is, like you said, it's in a list of statements on, right. on a certain page of that book. And it's in the rest of that book. Mostly. So, so here's a related topic. And that's the, the second part of it. And it's very related, which is. You know, when, when a child dies, when a, a loved one dies, whatever, let's say you cross the street, I mean, and uh, you die, okay? You are leaving this podcast, you cross the street, you don't look uh, left when you should have, and you get hit by a car and terribly sad, but you die. Uh, and everyone who, who uh, you leave behind, we're, we're of course very sad, I go to your funeral, we talk a lot about you and everything else. 
and but why is death such a bad thing? I mean, really, I'm, I'm obviously not the suffering kind, the torturous kind of death. But is death really always such a bad thing? In fact, most of the people who have had the, uh, the death experiences, near death and actual death experiences, uh, they talk about how pleasant it was to come back, uh, to, to go lift themselves out of their body, and then they, they regretted having to come back. They didn't like coming back. They, they wanted to continue on. So by all measures, from, from literally the millions of people that have been interviewed on the subject, who, uh, the former atheists who, have, who, who know exactly that there is life after death, as it were, uh, there, you know, death is, why is death such a bad thing? It, 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 it may be bad timing. You may be leaving people behind. But, of course, and that's, that's a separate issue altogether. But the fact that, like, those, those, uh, that couple that lost their baby after 10 days, the baby has died, okay? And presumably it knows of its own death at some point, but its soul continues on, you know, and maybe it's, maybe it's better to, you know, you live, the life after this life is much better. Yeah, and I hesitate to get into that line of thinking because if we, that falls into a trap atheist spring for us, right. which is, well, if that, life after death is so good, why don't you just kill yourself? Right. Well, obviously, you idiots, them, mm -hmm. uh, God put us here as living beings for a reason, right. and we are supposed to let him choose when to take us right. for the completion of our purpose. Yes, absolutely seasons. right. Absolutely right. Now, yeah, we have the free choice to intervene with his fate. Okay, right. we do. Right. But it's probably better not to in most cases. Yeah. Um, unless that fate is directly related. Example, the guys who helped take down Flight 93 before it hit its target. Right. You know, because in their taking their own lives, they did God's work. Well, as, yeah, as so, so, so let's, let's think about that. Actually, that's a very good example of what I want to talk about. At the time that Flight 93 happened, uh, I imagine the wives and, and the husbands and the relatives of all those people, the good people who died, uh, were of course, you know, tragically upset about it. They went to the respective funerals for all those people and said, "I can't believe Bobby's gone from us. You know, what will we do? What will we do?" It's now what 17 years later, and there's a new way of looking at their lives. It's not as if it happened just yesterday for them anymore. It's it's been it's part of their fabric of their own lives. So Todd Beamer, I think his name was, and and the other men that. Uh, attacked the, the bad guys with him, uh, they're heroes. And their name echoes now maybe far greater than they ever would have had they uh, just lived regular lives. Yeah, they are, they are some of the greatest heroes in American history. Right. Because we don't know what they prevented on the ground. For sure. They're true heroes. And God had a mission for them. Yeah. And, and, and who's to say that their lives were wasted? Uh, on the contrary, they, they served a fantastic purpose, and my hat's off to them, and we think about them, you and I, and we are re-echoing re their names, names that we would never have mentioned had, had Flight 93 never happened. So it's such a good example of what you're saying and, and to, to evoke, because time does change these things, um, whether it's the assassination of Rabin, for example, um, in Israel. In 1995 or 96, I believe, he was killed. And at the time, I remember being very upset and distraught about it. Um, but you'll recall that 
he, along with Perez, his co-prime minister, uh, were about to give up all of the West Bank and Gaza. And split Jerusalem. And split Jerusalem back to the way it was, and working with the Palestinian Authority to eventually... Literally, they were going to give Israel away. That's right. That's what they were going to do. Yeah, and look, I'm not saying that... I I wish he, he hadn't died. I wish he hadn't been killed the way he was. Um, but and it was a religious Jew who killed him. But there was something, uh, you know, it, it would have been terrible had he lived and had he gone through the peace, the Oslo Peace Accord, as he was planning to do. Um, I don't know if the Israel would exist anymore. Yeah. It, it, well, we know it would not. Right. We yeah. know it. Yeah. Okay. I, because I, I'm afraid know. to. I'm, I'm, wait, I'm afraid to even utter those words, but I suspect that you're right. It, it, I clearly am right. Yeah. You know, part of I think the beauty of this particular podcast is <laughs> this is good for you. Is you have me who will say things <laughs> that other people are uncomfortable saying. Right. And once in a while, I say something that needs to be said that no one wants to say, which is that, which is one death. It's the whole Star Trek Two Wrath of Khan thing. One death. And one, you know, uh, uh, assassin in this case, sometimes an assassin is righteous, okay? okay? Once in a while. And this one may have saved worldwide Jewry from destruction. Because if there is no Israel, Jews everywhere are not safe. We would so have really one suffered. death may have saved the, the, the culture and the lives of 18 to 22 million people. Well, for I'll all tell, we know. I'll, I'll tell you, yeah, it was 25 years ago that the Oslo Peace Accord was signed, almost exactly. Well, that's, that's interesting. Yeah, it was 1993, so that's 25 years ago. And I remember I happened to be in Israel at the time, and they came out with three different uh, news reports, the Israeli one, the American one, and the Arab one. The Israeli one said uh, something like, uh, you know, Dateline, September such and such, uh, 1993, the Israelis and the Palestinian contingent have secretly met in Oslo, uh, working out and hammered out details of a peace accord, uh, whereby the following was uh, contemplated and blah, blah, blah. And they went to it's some de- great degree of detail. The American version was very similar, but a lot simpler and, you know, more to the point and a little bit summarized. The Arab version started off by saying, we are one step closer to the annihilation of Israel. Uh, and it was it's really remarkable. And the, the Israelis went to Arafat, who was the leader of the, the Palestinians at the time, and said, well, you know, please explain to us why you're saying this. And he said, listen, this is the way I need to parlay this to my people. Don't worry, I'll, 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 I'll soften them up. And the Israelis, I mean, under Rabin... Uh, I'm, I'm talking about the Rabin Israelis, shall we say. Yeah, the liberal they, Jews. They, they bought this, uh, and they said, yeah, we just got to play this game a yeah. little bit. Let, let me, let won't me the, won't that. Be, that. Won't that be funny? Be the same Jews who voted for Obama. Yes, right? that's true. Yeah, that kind of... So uh, they um, they bought this hook, line, and sinker. And I remember my cousins, who were fairly liberal, liberal Israelis, they very much were excited about uh, Rabin and Perez, and they got reelected, you know, before his assassination, of course. And uh, and they said, well, we know that the Palestinian, that this, that there's no turning back now. They made it seem as if somehow, you know, it's a foregone conclusion. They were wrong. It was not a foregone conclusion, and we, you know, the Israelis correctly build a fence. <laughs> Elected Netanyahu. I mean, yeah. much later, of course, but it was it was so important to be able to see evil for what it was. Um, very clearly, 
uh, Perez saw that what he had done was wrong. And, you know, it, it's as tragic as the Rabin assassination is, uh, the one good that came out of it was that it really put into question the viability of the Oslo Peace Accords because it wasn't solidified, first of all, uh, and, and Arafat was talking crazy, wanted so much more. This is what happened in, in the uh, yeah, Camp and, David Accords. Everything fell apart at the end of the day. Yeah, and by the way, you were viewing Clinton at that time and yeah. his uh, Lady Macbeth wife from the lens you were seeing him in 1993, 94, 95, and 96, before Lewinsky, before the real stuff that we know about him now. You look back on him now, and you go, my God, that guy was as bad or worse than Obama. Right. Right? No, and you see, yeah. you see, this was a setup to destroy the Jewish people. And it got, somehow, by the grace of God, even if it was a brutal way, it got scuttled by... That act. Well, now here is a question for you, and I want you, you to go through this mental exercise. So one of the things you can ask, you know, how could God allow X, right? So you should, we've been talking about, you know, somebody dying in the street, dying of cancer, that sort of thing. But what about Obama? We know that Obama was terrible. We know that Obama was terrible for America. Obama was terrible for Israel. Uh, he, he advanced the cause of evil throughout the world. So you wonder, okay, well, if there is a God, then how could he have allowed Obama to be elected? How could this be? But now in hindsight, maybe we understand. We, it's crystal clear. Go. He, go that's the mental exercise. There are, Please go through that. There are three elements to it. Yeah. The first one connects to what we just talked about, the Jewish question. We finally got a guy to reveal how anti-Semitic and pro the enemies of America and Israel that party is because they got a guy who just tore the mask off and did it. He armed Iran with nuclear weapons. He allowed the Nazis of ISIS to proliferate and he exposed the evil for what it was of that party. Yep. And he showed that I, and remember this is going to be brutal, but that's why I'm here. I think he revealed that the Democrat party of Franklin Roosevelt allowing the Holocaust to happen was not a fluke. Mm. It's that same old party same thing, they did it. And it revealed to every Jew who cares to see it that that party and that guy hates your guts. Right. Second thing. Okay. And this is the second most important thing, and then I'll get to the Trump thing. We've heard the argument over and over again that socialism and communism work. It just hasn't been correctly tried applied the yeah. right way. Right, right, right. right. Yep. Well, finally, we got a guy who tried it the right way, right? And it ended with nothing but failure. To the point was, that guy who was trying it the right way said to Americans in Wisconsin and Michigan, Pennsylvania and Ohio, you know those jobs? Gone forever. You know those industries? Not coming back. This is the new normal. You know, you've got to take a haircut. You know, Republican drove the car into the ditch. I'm just, I'm just taking the wheel. And I, I think, I think our listeners uh, understood about every fifth word that you just said. But go ahead. Well, I don't understand Obama either. You <laughs> know, he's gotten to be like Jesse Jackson, where he's like, "What the hell did he say?" Oh, he was pretty articulate, but yeah. but long, our, long but, story but madness, short, yeah. it, it it finally put a face on the honest, legitimate, moral attempt at friendly socialism, and it failed. And then. Trump gets elected, reverses just a few of those things, 
and we have an economic miracle to the point where the guy who said those jobs aren't coming back are now going, oh, I did that. That was my economy that's roaring back. Okay, so the point is it showed everyone that communism fails no matter who implements it, no matter how nice they are, no matter how intelligent they are. And then third of all, the Trump effect. Obama revealed to the world or more importantly, the American voter and the American populace, how corrupt the media was. And it led to the Republican Party, in order to be victorious, having a guy who stopped the Republican establishment horse crap of saying, we need to reach out to moderates, we need to moderate a message, we need to be compassionate before we're conservative. Instead, we got a bombastic nutcutter as our candidate and now our president who destroyed all of the narratives, all the corruptions, all of those memes, and has created, if you will, a new information normal that America operates with, where 65% of people, including a lot of Democrats, understand the media information you're getting is fake, and that you have to discern stuff with your own mind. And I think those three miracles have led to the peace and prosperity era we've entered, and the left, this is my final statement of the long-winded analysis, is in its final death throes now, exemplified by all of the hysteria on every issue, no matter okay. what it is. So look, I, I agree with uh, a lot of what you said. Uh, the way I, because I've been thinking about this issue quite a bit, because it really, the 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 rise of Obama really shocks me. I really felt it was, it, you know, it's one thing that God has a mission for me. And if I get hit by a bus, I figure, okay, well, uh, God had his mission for me for whatever reason. Um, like I, I could take it and I get maimed, let's say, like like uh, Charles Krauthammer got maimed. And, uh, and and then, you know, he didn't become the doctor, but he became the brilliant commentary uh, guy that, that he became, right? God had a mission for Charles Krauthammer, and not once did Krauthammer look back and say, "Woe was me." Uh, that's just the way he was, and um, he did. He was a great blessing to the world. So, I think about Obama now. By contrast, Obama, you know, he he's a he he is and he was a blight onto our history. He caused the whole country to suffer. It's not like you know an individualized you know bus accident like or, or a pool accident like Charles Krauthammer had, or it's, Monica Lewinsky or Kathleen yeah, Williams. You know, or something. What, yeah, what, what do I? You know, what did I do to deserve Obama? You know, I've been faithful and everything else, and there's plenty of other. Why do we get this Obama guy, right? Yeah. So I, I wonder, and I finally came up with the answer to myself. I mean, I obviously it's it's just my own personal belief. I think that the we needed a stark contrast. We, we, we had Nixon, who was no Republican in any way, right? We had Bush the father, uh, who was certainly no Republican. We had Reagan, who was great, uh, but you know we needed more of that. Bush the son was just slightly better than Bush the father. And it was really disappointing. And then we had John McCain, who would have been terrible. We, we, we all know that. Uh, and Mitt Romney... As well-intentioned and believing in conservatism as he was, he would never play it. He was just not tough enough. And I think that God had a hand in making sure that Obama won. And he says, you want, you want this, my, my American friends? I'll give it to you. Okay? You want this nonsense? You'll, I want you to see the consequences of what, you know, be careful what you want sort of thing. I think God does that quite a bit. Um, sometimes to show you the stark relief uh, and contrast. 
A good example of that is the, the 10 plagues, right? I mean, it, God, God could have, any reasonable pharaoh, shall we say, could see the very first plague and say, whoa, <laughs> okay. Dainu, enough. Dainu, enough. You guys, uh, please, uh, would you like some? Uh, would you like some French fries with your departure? <laughs> you know, just to make sure that you're good. Yeah. Would you like some leavened bread with your? Departure? Yes, absolutely. Um, but no, he they guard, God hardened his heart, uh, and there's a bunch of reasons the com- the commentaries of that. One one of them was that, that at first Pharaoh uh, did it himself, and then God hardened his heart as a punishment uh, in order to take away his free will. But another benefit of of hardening Pharaoh's heart and forcing him to do it is not only to show Pharaoh the power of God, but also to show the Jews the power of God, the, the great miracles. This was an opportunity to, to see what, who God was. Remember, God, uh, the, the, the notion of an unseeable, unknowable, and uh, all omnipresent God was a very new concept. Yeah, for for, everybody, especially for pre-medieval people. Yes, and also if they, you make such a great point. If only the river turned to blood and they were out of there and they left peacefully, there's no parting of the Red Sea or any of the other irrefutable acts. Right. That's right of, of miracles. So the point is that it that the design was to show you the contrast, and then sure enough, you know, uh, God is powerful. Your your Egyptian gods are nothing, and they're stupid. Okay, it's the whole notion of believing in these gods is stupid. There's only one God. And I think the same, in a sense, was true with Obama. We had not just four years of him, but eight years of him. And he's still echoing, but thankfully he can only do so much damage at this point. He, we now saw with Obama's liberal policies and how destructive they were, we basically took off the mask of liberalism. This is what your point is. We took off the mask of socialism. Uh, we took off the mask of big government. Uh, the, we took off the mask of identity politics. Yeah, and the mask of the supporters of such who are violent psychos. Yeah, exactly These are right. not normal people uh, who right. just disagree with you. Right, we show the fascistic impulse yes. of it. We show that how undemocratic it is. And then, you know, and this is why I say we, I mean, I, I've said it before and I'll say it again. Obama was the cause of Trump. If it weren't for Obama, we wouldn't have Trump. And here comes Trump. And literally, the day that he swear, gets sworn in as president, Inauguration Day, stock market rallies. Economy improves right away. It's as if the, I, I, the clouds just parted that very moment. Yeah, it's epic. It was like the story of, uh, there's a French version of the story of King Arthur. Right. That they made the movie Excalibur from. And the second they find the Holy Grail... Bring it back to Arthur. He takes one sip of wine from it. Fruit and nut sprout forth from exactly. the trees. The famine is over. The earth comes alive again. But all life is restored. But Donald Trump speaks plainly from the gut and from the brain. Not, not from the heart, but from the gut and from the brain. And he says exactly the way he sees it. And his, he's driven by a sense of God. And he says God all the time. And he believes that America is blessed the same way that you and I believe that America is blessed. He loves Israel. The, the, the contrast is so extraordinary, so exquisite. I, I, I'm so thankful for it now. In, now looking back on it, I'm saying, you know what? Maybe it was worth the pain of eight years of Obama so that we could get the goodness of what we're having now under Trump. And not only that, but also getting everyone to see that, not just 
that, that it's good for the economy and everything else, but actually literally to get people to see it, to see that stark contrast. Not even under Reagan were people able to see that stark contrast. People, I think they were. No, 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 you're, you're, no, no. Hang on, you're not, you're not with me yet. Oh, I'm between ex- communism and it. it is with Reagan, we saw well, the no, difference. No, 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 this is an important. Yeah, point. No, 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 Ari, 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 get back, get back. I, I haven't finished my sentence. I'm saying, not even with Reagan, from the day that he was inaugurated to till the time the recession was over and the economy started booming, it took a couple of years. That's oh, my you, point. Your point is with Trump. Yeah, was right away. Had you not interrupted me, I would have been able to yeah. say that. But it's, I'm kidding around. But the, the, that's the point. From the day one, it, it, it's impossible to ignore the the election of Donald Trump and how wildly successful it was compared to the the, the horrors of the Obama economy. So he can't. For example, if if Trump, let, let's say Trump did the same thing, you know, underwent the same thing that Reagan had, and it took three years, that we'd still be in a recession of some sort. And then after three and a half years, the economy starts, you know, picking up. Thank yeah, you very much. Yeah, with all the belly aching during that period of pain. Right. Yeah. yeah. So then, so the then we would say austerity. Yeah. Yeah. So then we would say, and we'd be correct. We'd say. Look, it's because of all the new policies that Trump implemented, and now we're seeing the positive benefits of that. We would be right. But the Democrats would spin it the way they, they would, which is, no, it's all cyclical. In fact, it's the policies of Obama that led to this uh, new surge in the economy. And you, can't, you, know, you want to take it for the past three years, but everyone knows that it takes five years. And that's when Obama started those policies, whatever. That's what they would say. But instead, what happened was so immediate— and so, uh, and so, so was in the face of the Obama administration, that no reasonable—I mean—and I mean that—no reasonable Democrat, and I'm talking about a liberal as opposed to a leftist or a wrongist, as you like to say, but no reasonable Alan Dershowitz type. Let's put it that way. Uh, and you don't have to be as brilliant as Alan Dershowitz to, to see that my point. But no reasonable Democrat would say, would would not see that there's a connection here. I'm not talking about God now. I'm talking about the fact that the policies of Trump have really worked. Right. And, and it must make them think twice. Right. Being the, That's the miracle you're saying of God's footprint, fingerprint on yeah. is that people see the error of their political ways in contrast to this. Yes. And to go one step further into that, there's your own experience in how you voted. Here's another thing Obama did to me for me, with me, if God's, or God did it, but with using Obama as the tool. I had always been interested in politics ever since my conversion to conservatism, but I hated talking about it. I hated thinking about it. I hated worrying about it. It was something I just hoped would just take care of itself. And by and large, with the wisdom of the American people and how they voted, things handled itself. Right. You know, Bush did beat Gore. Thank God. We had Bush in office on 9-11, not Gore. Thank God. Right. But as 2007 rolled into 2008, and I could see this rising scourge of communist impulses in more and more people, I started getting galvanized in myself, and I realized I can't relax. Yes, I have to work hard in my regular life, in my social life, in my home life to build, you know, my marriage with my wife, build, you know, the family I'm going to have, you know, build my career, all that. But I started realizing... God must want more from me. He must be putting Obama in office. This threat. You see, I don't, I always grew up with uh, grandparents from the Holocaust generation, and they always told me when we were young, we didn't believe the stories. We didn't believe it was true that that 
curse that the Jews would be followed around with. With every other generation, the world will rise up against them. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, this Hitler is elected. Out of nowhere, for my other side of the grandparents' family, they invade Poland. Out of nowhere, they have to leave everything behind and flee. And countless members of the family just gone. We right. now know into piles of ashes. Right. Right? And we realize there's more for us that's required here. Yeah. The vigilance of warning you, our grandchildren, that although life seems sweet and stable, always watch out. Yeah. And I always knew that in the back of my mind, but then when I heard Barack Obama's name for the first time, I said to myself, oh crap, Right. this is it. Excrement it was- just got real. And so when Obama got elected, uh, you know, or uh, as Obama was going through his election year, I became more activist. And then a miracle happened. The Tea Party movement formed right at this moment that I got involved in these things, and I happened to meet all these people. And I never dreamed I'd ever meet a Larry Elder or a Rush Limbaugh or a Dennis Prager. I mean, it was like meeting Tom Cruise or Jack Nicholson. I'm not going to do that. And now I know them. Right. Now I've met them. Now I'm, I don't, I'm not like you. I don't interact with them as often. I'm not on the board of Prager U. But I see these people. They know my name. Every time Dennis Prager says my name, I'm just, I pinch myself. And go, I can't believe God right. delivered something so wonderful to me. And the point is, I think the election of Obama sprung millions and millions of Americans into political action like me who realized more was required of us if we were going to defend the future. Right. I think that's exactly right. We, be, we had become complacent. Uh, notwithstanding Roe v. Wade, I mean, there was a, a resurgence to some extent because, uh, you know, that, and I think that's what brought us Ronald Reagan at the end of the day. But Obama really awakened the conservative movement in a way that would not have happened had he not been elected. Uh, and, and, and the jerk he was as president. So just imagine had McCain won in 2008. Okay, McCain, we know what kind of candidate he is. He's the maverick and everything else. He would just kind of be moving the pieces on the chessboard with no real sense of, of mission. He, claimed, he would claim to be a conservative, but... You know, he would be the compassionate conservative sort of thing, and he would, you know, open up this program and do that program and everything else. It just, he, he would be a mess. It, it would be to the point that you wouldn't know the distinction between a Republican and a Democrat. And it would just give that much more ammunition to the Democrats. And it would weaken the Republican brand altogether. And Obama would have been elected in 2012, and we'd be sitting with him after his re-election today going, oh, my God. Iran might get a nuclear right. weapon. North Korea is threatening. China is expanding. The social media giants are censoring, and no one is speaking up for us now. Right. And there's no Tea Party movement. Yeah, there would not have been a Tea Party movement, and the Tea Party movement was, you know, Donald. Make no mistake, guys. Donald Trump is the Tea Party president. He, yeah. he that's what the Tea Party has given us. He may not have called himself as such, but he's clearly a Tea Party president. And uh, and we, we you and I talked about this when it came down to the final four, as it were, like in basketball terms, right? The final four were Donald Trump, uh, Bernie um, Sanders, Hillary Clinton, and uh, Ted Cruz. Yeah, they were the two, final four. Two Tea Party candidates, an anti-establishment Democrat from the communist wing right. that forced the the pretend I'm not a communist communist Democrat right, exactly. Hillary to 
take off her mask and be more of a communist. Right. And send the whole party into communism. Into oblivion. But the point is that the Tea Party had, had, had won. It had made its uh, mark on society. Yeah. And, 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 and in that process, it eliminated all the establishment people, which was so great. Okay. So the point is that there, there needed to be a rebirth of conservatism. And for that matter, of faith. There's a lot of, a lot of uh, people really galvanized. I think there's a lot more, uh, certainly in the Jewish tradition, there are a lot more conservatives. Uh, in 2012, by the way, tremendous number of new conservatives. It was, it was awesome among Jews. Uh, and I think by 2016, even more so. And now with Trump doing what he did, not only with the embassy, because that, that's just one of many things that he's done pro-Israel, but it was, it was symbolic. It was emblematic of, of his pro-Israel stance and his pro-Jewish stance, to say nothing of his, um, his daughter being Jewish. and so he, the, the connection it was awesome. And there's something to be said about it. I mean, it, people, um, people need pur- purpose, and Donald Trump is giving people a sense of purpose. There's a purpose to America all of a sudden. Um, I think, you know, maybe maybe you're hearing it here first, but I think Trump will be the new Reagan. He's oh, I think he'll be better than Reagan. Even better. I it, it could it could be even better. But and, and part of the reason why he might be better in Reagan's defense is that good for today and hopefully after 20, in November 2018, uh, he has the mantle of not only the the White House but also the the House of Representatives and the Senate. And with God's luck, we'll also have the Supreme Court, at which case, in which case he can do a lot. He can effectuate a lot of agenda change. And, and I think even more importantly, um, Reagan was a man of his time. But those days were ending. The World War I, World War II generations were getting, you know, were elderly people by then. The, the sense of class and taste and decorum of the old world was fading Unfortunately, the brilliant thing about Trump is this is a man of the new world. He understands there's only you can't be like a Mitt Romney and pretend that I'll just be classy and hope that the enemies will be too. Yeah. This guy knows I need to crush some nuts. Right. I need to bust some heads here. Yeah. And by doing so, he will give our culture a fighting chance to restore itself to be a, a dignified and classy place and hopefully restore Western cultural you know, uh, norms to its glory. Uh, that's, a, that's, I think, a tall order. But more importantly, I think he is showing a new generation of conservatives, not Republicans, conservatives, how to fight and how to win yeah. and how to be – how ruthlessness and, and – um, and, uh, um, Resolute, yeah. Against standing, the enemy standing your ground, so important. Standing your ground is critical, and that's what Trump is showing us. And people are now playing by the, the Trump book. I mean, they, they now people are running in Congress when they have a, an election coming up, and they do, and, and even the special elections that have been coming up, they're running uh, by saying, "Oh, I voted for Trump," you know, along with Trump, 100 percent. I've got 100 percent support of Trump. They would never have said that two years ago. Yeah, they're taking a confrontational attitude towards the media. Right. They're taking a controversial attitude towards yes. life. So now they're saying these things. That they're actually, it's, it's so pro-Trump in that they realize that the Trump playbook is working and it's very effective. And, and so it should be. Uh, we are, we're happy that they're doing it. Uh, whereas all the previous uh, Republicans, they, 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 they would not understand how to talk tough. They, they, 
Everything that we learned about World War II, for example, FDR, you have to give him credit. At the end of the day, he was the one who, who demanded unconditional surrender from the Germans. Not Churchill and not Stalin. It was, it was, it was FDR. Um, now, even a broken clock is right twice a day, as they say. But you have to give him credit on that. And that, that was the right approach. Being tough and understanding that there is such a thing as evil. Trump understands that. And now the world sees, you know what? The way he sees it and the way he executes it is the right way. And that is um, it's very powerful stuff. And now we're seeing a whole different mantra about this. And the world is, has changed now in a very positive way. I'm, I'm, I'm so excited about this. I, before we brought this podcast up, uh, I, I said to Ari, I'm just super happy. I'm, I'm happy with you know, my family, of course, and everything else. But I'm, I'm so pleased and so grateful that we have Trump as our president. I... I He's not a perfect man. No man is perfect. I don't want him to be perfect. He's not a perfect man, but he's a perfect president. He's a perfect president. That's right. He's getting things done. And this is why we we love this man so much. And look, we started off by saying we wonder why things happen the way they do. We we, 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 About the, the whole notion of God as a butler and such. And the truth is, at the end of the day, God wants us to take care of ourselves. He gives us guidelines about as to what a good life is going to be. And how you get to that, that's called the Bible, the Torah. And, and for Christians, it's, it's a New Testament as well. And these are great blessings. These are gifts to, to us. These are not, these are not demands and, and uh, quid pro quos, like, like some sort of mafia don that demands protection money. No, these, this is God's gift to us, to, to lead a better life. Don't you want to lead a better life? Don't you want to lead a life where you, re- you, you recognize evil, where you guard against danger, the best way you can. And that's what God gives us at the end of the day. And and we can see, you know, when, when there are troubles in the world, when there are accidents, when there are tragedies even, we still can see, we can glean God's plan, maybe many years later, but it's still a plan. And I'm, I'm so grateful that Trump is the president. I'm so grateful to have my friends like you, Ari, and so grateful to, to have discovered God when I did. I'm Brock Lurie. Thanks for listening. We'll talk with you next week. 